welcome back to Life MMA and the NBA. I'm your host DJ San Marco here on a beautiful uh, Sunday afternoon. Excuse me, Sunday morning in Florida. It's actually afternoon where my guest is. Perhaps even evening. No, it's afternoon. But uh, we are super happy to have on uh, one of the host of the Shots Fired podcast, all the way from the UK, uh, one of my favorite places uh, in the world. Uh, none other than uh, Mr. Michael Morgan. How's it going, Mr. Morgan? Thank you for having me on the show, sir. It, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Is the applause coming through? I don't know if it is. All right. <laughs> oh, man. There's always something with this technology that, that, oh, I see what happened. I see what happened. I dulled out the... Uh, the music so much the applause didn't come through but there will be applause on your applause on the recording for you um yeah it's an honor to have you on sir uh there's a lot of topics relative to uh things that have happened um in the uk i i got very interested in the harry and megan situation which i think brought up uh cultural issues uh rate rate race issues uh much like we have here in the u.s and you were kind of telling me a little bit about how it's the same but different in the UK. And before we get into that, though, could you please just tell the audience a little bit about you? Because I've heard your podcast and you guys are just it's such a well done uh, production that you guys have and great opinions. So tell us a little about you. OK, Woe TV is essentially a one stop shop for news, views and interviews. Typically um, articles, but um, more recently, because of lockdown, we've been ramping up the audio aspect of it. So there are two podcasts which actually are attached to it. One is a kind of like a retrospective or a look back at the weekend's action. And that's me and G who actually do that every single Monday uh, stroke Sunday. Sometimes that earlier. But on a Tuesday, we record, and I say we, I mean me, Chisanga, and Gina and Kairos, Kairos the yeah. four of us, we record a round table of sorts, basically looking at the hot topics in MMA. So we each pick a topic, we each bring a topic to the table, but the rules are this, it's shots fired. That's the title. So basically we conduct things straight up, no chaser, there are no holds barred. And essentially what we do is give our take, our honest take on the news of the moment. And how did you guys connect? Was that all through Twitter? Yeah. I mean, essentially, it started off as just me and G because I was looking for a co-host. And um, I wanted someone who actually reflected the brand values of um, Way TV, which is essentially always making trouble. So in connecting with G, what I found is that she personified the brand values without having read the brand guidelines. And uh, I asked her if she wanted to actually come on board to actually co-host the show. And she was like, yeah. She then introduced me to Kairos. And I thought, you know what? What we really need is kind of like a, another English voice in it. And that's where Chisanga came in. Chisanga, as you may not know, but I'll let you know now, is uh, a traditional journalist in the, in the truest sense in that he uh, works for the um, Sun at the moment, but uh, has previously worked for the Mail. So... In that, it was kind of like uh, the Four Musketeers were born and Shots Fired was uh, officially uh, off the starting blocks. And that's your, your day job is, is Woe TV? Is that your, I, I thought, I, I don't know where I got the idea that you're involved in film somehow. Is that right? I, no, I, I wished. 
um, it was my day job. Yes, I'm juggling quite a lot mm -hmm. in terms of uh, projects. Another of my projects is film related because I traditionally um, in, in well, from where I'm from, mm -hmm. um, you start out with journalism and um, my beat, as it were, were it was entertainment based. So I'd rock up to the um, uh, studios of BBC um, on occasion and I would give my views on, well, the current movies as it were. So I'd give film reviews, but as well as that, I was on a very obsc obscure um, cable channel called Ben TV and I had my own show called The Front Row and it was a weekly look at film. So I kind of had that passion from a while back and doing the red carpet and things like that and film premieres, it kind of like gave me the bug wow. to, you know, have that kind of um, leaning towards film. And I enjoy film anyway. So really revisiting film has been a kind of uh, a recent thing because uh, Trash OMFG is where you'll see my and hear my uh, views and my news and interviews. Say that again. Film related. Where is it? Film. It's Trash OMFG. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Because I want to, I'll uh, hit you up to put this stuff in the show notes so that everybody knows where to find you and how to find your work. Cool. Nice one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and so tele and television. Do you have an affinity for television? It is more like the big screen. Hello, hello. It's more the big screen. I mean, okay. we do cover yeah. television. We do cut. Co yeah, we do cover television, but um, that's primarily through my guests who give their views on such things as One Division or Falcon and the and the Winter Soldier. Now, whilst I watch along, I wouldn't say TV is my forte. I'm more film. Wow, interesting. Yeah, now with Netflix, there's just so much content out there. It's amazing. Um, that's one of the things that I sort of love about modern society is there's a lot more um, television to watch than when I was young. But then again, you know, I grew up at the era of the Jeffersons and Sanford and Son and um, all those kinds of shows. Um, that we love the original Batman, all that stuff. That's kind of the age I'm at. I'm mid fifties, but um, and you know, you you mentioned uh, Gina, and I was telling her, you know, she seems to have like a fascinating story. And one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast was to step away from doing MMA only, which I had done here and there uh, since 2010 on different podcasts only MMA and I said I'm interested in people and stories and Gina seems like a fascinating person and I want to have her on just on that basis even if we don't talk MMA at all uh, although I love MMA um, but you know what I mean like to just sort of branch out and not she give... would be incredible to have on I mean her lifestyle takes whether it be film whether it be TV and whether it be life in general um give you a, an interesting insight and i'll let her unpack her background but it is absolutely fascinating we do delve into it occasionally because it is so complex and it is so in interesting what she actually brings to the table she's absolutely her, amazing her perspective i know i mean i i know a hundred percent that I, i've asked her a number of times and i think it's going to happen it's just going to take time um that's a you know sometimes you know it has to be when that person is ready for whatever reason 
and uh, I'm I'm not above begging. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to beg. Okay? I, you know, so I mean, if that's what it's going to take, I'll do it. Uh, you know, it took me five months to get Kate Casey to come on, and then she basically took over my show for over an hour and entertained me and my co-hosts uh, at length. So it was great. Uh, and I think Gina will probably do the same, and I'll be happy to just let her take the reins. Uh, <laughs> I'm a motorcycle guy, but I'll sit on the back if Gina's going to ride. I have no problem. So anyway, uh, <laughs> so getting back. So let's get to the topic of Harry and Meghan, because I'm really interested to hear that. And then I, I think that's just going to take us right into race in the UK. Does that sound all right? Yeah, sounds like a good plan. So, Michael, what what did you feel like the first time you heard that Harry was to wed this woman who is of mixed race, uh, who is half black um, in, you know, in the context of that, a person like that joining the Royals, like, how did you feel if you can go back to that time? What did you, what did it make you feel like? Uh Oh, I've lost you. We've got a little bit. Yeah. Of a, it, it, it cut delay. out just for a second there. Okay. I, okay. I, I think I got the gist of what you were saying there. Okay. I thought um, Megan's introduction to the Royal family was an incredible opportunity, an incredible opportunity to unite an incredible opportunity to change the narrative in terms of how people saw the Royal family as this stuffy, fuddy duddy um, white family. And to be inclusive, I thought would be a really good message that this kind of like sends out to the subjects. I mean, I know it's 2021, but we are talking about uh, an entity. We're talking about a family, which, you know, really and truly, a lot of people are starting to ask, does it or do they have a place in modern times? And I thought that this was the perfect way of actually knitting in what essentially off the back of it and um, comes hot on the heels or during the time of Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter being the predominant narrative of recent months. So I was quite um, hopeful that uh, they would run with this and do something quite positive with it. Did you have a concern when you knew that she was going into that environment, both as an American woman, which would be difficult for any American woman, and then a woman of mixed race, did that, did you have a concern going in, like as you were watching the, the, the wedding uh, ceremony? Um, I'm, I'm not going to um, skirt around the issue and um, uh, kind of like uh, fluff this out. I'm not really a big royal watcher. Mm -hmm. This is a family that doesn't really concern me. And I think when you look at the colonial aspects of the royal family and their lineage um it really does cause me some concern that you know history tends to gloss over some of the atrocities which are attached to the royal family also um if you look at archive footage of elizabeth um talking about uh an ambassador coming to i think it was um a meeting with the queen you know she 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 likened him in conversation and in passing to a gorilla so the the parlance the parlance and and vernacular of the royal family hasn't been entirely um complimentary when it comes to black people in particular but uh, minorities in general when you look at the fact that you know r.i.p and all that um prince philip mm -hmm. he has said some um you know the kind word would be gaffs it's mm -hmm. an english word gaffs but 
I'm going to call it as I see it. He said some downright racist things about, again, black and minority um, individuals. So off the back of that, that didn't really like bode well. That didn't make me feel as though there'd be this overnight change, this sea change of opinion. And um, it made me feel a little bit concerned where, you know, you, you have this as the, well, in, in the back of my mind, the backdrop that she was, you know, coming into. Plus, I mean, when you see things like Princess Michael of, uh, I think it's Princess Michael of Kent, who was sporting quite um, a, a racist brooch. It was a, a, a more brooch, which was widely, you know, seen over the press when, you know, she she met um, Megan. It, it didn't, as I say, add to the narrative of everything's going to be okay. I hate, you know, I hate to take it here, but if, if, if she was a much darker skinned black person, would it, would the relationship have made it even that far? Uh, or, or would I say, would, would she, I... there have been more pushback, do you think? Put it this way, again, let's not skirt around the issue. We're mm -hmm. talking about Prince Harry, Prince Harry, who has previously sported a Nazi costume as his fancy dress of choice for a, a party. So um, I don't want to want to cast aspersions because I don't know. Mm -hmm. I can only throw this out there by people's actions, words that we've heard connected to the royal family, especially in recent times where one of the key features of the um, Oprah interview was a conversation an unnamed royal was supposedly have had with um, I think it was Harry, and the topic of conversation was, um, well, how dark the baby would be or the right. baby's skin color was an issue. Right. That, that I mean, that when you heard that, did that meet you with surprise? Not really. As I say, I mean, this is against the background of all that I've kind of like painted as a picture in terms of when I think of race, I think of all those things that I've just outlined to you. Plus, this is against the backdrop now where you have a prime minister who is famed for talking about, um, well, black people and liking them to uh, having watermelon smiles, saying things like um, uh, those uh, who sport the hijab are actually walking around and looking like a robber. So. The way that I look at it is this is creating a climate. This is creating palatability for those kind of sentiments. So really and truly, no, I, I wasn't surprised. I wasn't surprised that this does seem to be acceptable. This does seem to be the norm. That is, uh, yeah, I, I, I was just, you know, fascinated that someone would not, or kind of appalled at the self-awareness of whoever that individual was, whether it was William. I mean, people have narrowed it down. They say it was either William or Charles. I can't say categorically that it was, but uh, that one of them would not think that it might hurt Harry's feelings uh, about his wife. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I have my wife is mixed race. So, you know, I've heard things that, you know, that are anything that's hurtful to her or when she's not treated well. Um, it upsets me and I, I can't believe a member of his family wouldn't think, Hey, this might, this might bother him if they, if, if, if we ask him this question.
Well, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, in terms of sentiment, in terms of um, strength of feeling, in terms of what's palatable and what's not, you would you, you obviously uh, know what is the done thing and know what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's that, that really shows the lack of self-awareness. And when you hear the people like the Piers Morgans of the world who basically defend the crown and the institution and that that they perhaps have have made this up uh that they willingly I, what is the basic what, what are the arguments as you understand it that this has been um this is something that uh was basically them wanting to just leave the environment and not be there and they were treated fine what, what is the argument on the other side Uh-oh, I think I might have lost Michael. Michael, can you hear me, sir? Oh, let me... I might have to reconnect. Okay. All right, guys, we'll take a quick break on life, MMA, and the NBA, and we'll try to get Michael back up here. I'm actually speaking to you on my mobile now using, um, using 4G. All right. Let me see what's going on here. Welcome back to Life MMA and the NBA. I'm your host, TJ San Marco. We are back with the great Michael Morgan from the UK, who, as you guys can tell, just through the few minutes of this interview, is much smarter than I am. Uh, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, mo most of my guests are. Um, and, uh, you know, the Royals actually tried to shut down his internet, but you were, you were able to rest rest control back of, of, your, of your connection. Is that correct? Yeah, using the, the, the magic of 4G, not 5G, 4G to establish connections with okay. you. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're here. And uh, when when we left, um, I got to remember the point I was on. I didn't have uh, my notepad open. Uh, but let me, I, I actually can, I think I was talking about, um, let's see, we're talking about Harry and Meg's. And... We were talking about etiquette and what's acceptable and what's not. And I was basically commenting that mm -hmm. you clearly know what's acceptable. And because of mm -hmm. maybe the distance between um, the rules and common folk, maybe they don't. Okay. Okay. And that, yeah, maybe they don't know that that's not something that's acceptable. And I was kind of asking you to, to pose what is the argument from the other side, the, the sort of Piers Morgans, the, the royalists, if you will, what is their argument about what happened uh, that they that caused these two to leave? I feel, you know, with the Piers Morgan angle, he's a shock jock. What he does essentially is outrageous views do actually obtain outrageous viewing figures. So that's his shtick. That's where he comes in. That's what he does. And he does it exceptionally well. You may not like him as an individual, but Let's just say what he is there to do, and that is to put eyes on product. Can't wrong him for that. So his angle will always be disingenuous. His angle will always be one of shock. His angle will always be one of awe. So I don't put too much store by what he says, particularly where he's rubbishing the mental health angle or aspect of what um, Megan brought to the table by way of dialogue, by way of conversation that she had with Oprah. I just feel as though a lot of the time, I would say 99.9% .9 of the time, what you hear out of Piers Morgan's mouth isn't necessarily his view. It's the view that he knows will actually rile viewership. Okay. So it's not 
So you don't think that's necessarily his actual view, but it's something to get ratings for his show. Put it this way. Put it, put, put it this way. That seems to have worked for him in the past. Seems to be an angle which he has been pursuing in the past. So I can't really say that he would change his mind or his tact or his direction in the present. See, I, I look at this, I'm, you know, my dad's a Brooklynite like Gina is, so I kind of use my New York sensibilities. And so the way, and you can please correct me, you know, where you where I'm wrong or where you disagree, but why would they, if everything was great and they were treated well and it was just that she was kind of locked up a lot, why would they have left? I mean, what, what common sense does it make for him to give up all the trappings of being a royal and living on the property there and and serving in those capacities and being paid uh, and, and all that comes with it and the possibility that someday he may himself be king, why would he give all that up if they were treated well? Does that make any it, sense? It makes a lot of sense. You have to read between the lines as well. They were quite clear that they weren't being treated well. You saw the mental anguish that uh, was on display um, and it was kind of detailed as well through a lot of what Megan was saying and definitely through what Harry was saying that Megan's me mental health was of paramount uh, importance and significance and it was top of the agenda in terms of safeguarding. So, of course, they would leave to safeguard that. Of course, that would be at the top of, of, of their priority in terms of making sure that she was safe because to a certain extent, you know, Harry has seen this before with his mum, not necessarily the mental health action or angle, but being hounded by the press, being treated unfairly by the press, being vilified by the press. So I guess history repeating itself is something that he didn't want to happen. And it is a big guess because obviously I don't know the guy. In your view, how does the black community view Princess Diana, the, the late Princess Diana? That's a hard one for me to actually answer because my own personal take, again, is, you know, from someone who I'm viewing the royal family through the lens of, you know, in terms of what they represent, I'm not really about that life. And I really haven't really um, delved too deeply in terms of characters. But she did strike me as somebody who was a little bit humane, who was a little bit connected with the people. And that's why I see you know, similarities here in terms of vision, in terms of ethos, in terms of direction with Megan. I, you know, I don't know if you feel this, you know, get your thoughts on this. I mean, it just, because it, yeah, it seems to me that she was more, you know, more connected, more like Megan. They say that, uh, or at least Harry believes that she would have liked Megan a lot. She would have connected with her. It really bothered me that Megan would in any way be treated differently from how Kate was treated. Somebody yeah. who grew up in that, I don't know, probably went to the proper schools. I, I guess she went to school with William. She's obviously a white person. And then here's a woman who's a divorcee. But to me, I mean, if the, the child of the, the of Charles loves them and they're, you know, uh, objectively a good person, then I think that's all that should matter. And particularly somebody that can do so much work with groups that, that perhaps Kate couldn't have, or at least at the same level that Megan could, all over the continent of Africa, et cetera, et cetera. You know, or even here in, in America, you know, she could have gone to, you know, apparently they didn't like that she was well received in Australia, right? That's right. And and again, 
Um, there does seem to be a, a little bit of hierarchy at play here and hierarchy in terms of eyes um, of the media and who's received well and who has column inches. And it does seem as though there was an element of jealousy there. Yeah, that's that's horrible. Um, could you um, describe to me, basically, we had talked about this a little bit about what racism is like here compared to the UK. What does it feel like to be a black person in the UK on a daily basis? How aware are you of it when you leave your home? I think it's it's more covert. I would say that there is more of a uh, there's more of a more hi there. There seems to be some some, some trouble. Yep, I hear I've a little bit of breaking up outside with the, with the kids. If any of your children want to come on, they're welcome on. But go ahead. <laughs> uh oh, have I lost Michael? Maybe. No, no, no I'm, I'm back again. I was trying try, try to juggle there. What's what's actually happening? Okay. <laughs> it's totally okay. We welcome real life occurring during the show. Um, so that is totally cool. Hold on just a sec. Let me see what's going on. Just a sec. Okay. All right. So while that, uh, I just, while Michael's uh, taking a quick break, I kind of want to find out. I mean, I think I'm fairly dialed into as much as you can be as a, as a white person to what I've studied, uh, the history of black people in America. In fact, for my master's, I want to study it more, but I don't really know what it's like in the UK and while I lived there for three years, I didn't really get a sense of what it was like uh, for black folks or people of color in the UK. I did get a sense of, I heard people use the term Paki uh, regarding Pakistanis that, that uh, perhaps owned gas stations or convenience stores. But uh, hopefully Mike can tell us what it's like, um, you know, as, as a person who lives it, not somebody who observes it like myself i say it's more covert as i mentioned i okay. mean really and truly um yes you do have that kind of um vernacular and that kind of um uh discourse happening and um you know racist slurs yeah do get thrown around what i would say is um what's different these days in terms of our narrative and where we're coming from is that we're not putting up with it we're fighting back and we're talking about um, whether that be literally fighting back or in marches or actually, you know, asking for justice and equal parity and, and parity, sorry. So things are changing, but incrementally, don't get me wrong, it's not an overnight change. Things in terms of racism still are prevalent. They are still in your face. Um, but as I say, that the, the cunning thing that they have is, is, is the way in which they cover this up and the way in which they, for example, um, there was a race report which was published um, last week and they basically concluded that um, the UK was an exemplar when it came to race relations and it's something that should be replicated throughout or through 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 other nations. Mm -hmm. That isn't the experience of, of any black or minority uh, people who I know. And um, it's slowly coming out that this narrative was actually sown in this report by the British government. They had a hand in actually crafting this um, for political reasons. So that's what I'm saying about the, the crafty way in the 
the the the the, the, the cancerous way in which they 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 sow this narrative and you know make sure that um, white supremacy, which is at the top of all of this, is maintained. And because you're saying that, because you feel it when you're out and about, you feel it. Well, not only feel it, you know, you, you live the experience. Look, as a black man, you are seven times more likely to be stopped by the police. Why is that? It's not based on any figures, facts, or any um, statistics. This is just based on prejudice and racism. Similarly, as a black woman, you're five times more likely to die in childbirth. childbirth. Why is that? Why is this narrative different for us when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to policing, when it comes to housing? Where is this discrimination coming from? Institutional racism. So with, with NHS, so there is a difference between if a black woman is giving birth and a white woman that the type of care that yeah, they're going 100%. to get? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I'm blown away by this. So they're not going to get the attentiveness or maybe the level of specialists or in other words, the people in the room won't be as adept at what they're there for as if a white person were to come in or a wealthy per a person of consequence, what they perceive of consequence. I'm doing it. Indeed. Yep. Nailed it. Okay. Wow. I'm, I'm really shocked by that because that is a form of racism. I had never thought of even, but I guess it's one of those things that weaves its way into every nook and cranny like i was about to say like an english muffin give me that put up ching so sorry but uh but yeah it, it weaves its way into places that you wouldn't have even thought it i never would have thought of that, that and that's what i'm saying about okay. it being covert and not okay. overt in terms of focus in terms of racism because you're right you wouldn't have credited it you wouldn't have thought that but yet it exists wow that's very surprising i do know you know like that the healthcare even in our country, can be different when you're in uh, an area that uh, is populated by people of color, more so than when white people, and that came out with the rollout of the vaccine. It was going to the wealthier communities first and all that. So um, I do know that angle. I mean, uh, our country has its, uh, uh, we're very adept at racism, but I guess we just don't cover up as well as the UK does from what it sounds like. There you like. go. Um, and that's the, more, that's the more dangerous aspect, if you ask me. I would prefer to know um, where the knives are coming from as opposed to it being embedded in your back and not being able to do anything about it. Right, and you're like, ooh, I just got stabbed, and you turn around, and <laughs> you knew that person was <laughs> yeah. behind you all along, and you didn't see their short sword or whatever they call that that one that uh, Uhtred carries. He carries the broadsword and then the smaller one. Um, there you go. Um, so another sort of groups, two groups that feel... Uh, marginalized uh, within the universe of the UK was uh, the Scottish and the Irish. Obviously, the Irish now are independent, save for the Northern Irish. Um, and uh, 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 McGregor, is he in Northern Ireland or Ireland proper? No, he's, he's, um, he's, I think he's based in, in Dublin, which, um, at, using your vernacular, that's Ireland, the uh, <laughs> island proper. I don't think, yeah, uh, I don't, that, greater that Ireland, I guess you could call it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like Gino, like I'm from Westchester. So according to all these people in New York County, I mean, we're losers outside of the, uh, the city limits. Once you go North of the Bronx, we're all losers according to her. So, all right. No, we, we do get that. Um, they call us ups. Okay, where I come from, Peekskill, um, is called upstate. 
and we're about 36 miles from the Bronx. <laughs> so it's it's not that far. You know what I mean? Because uh, when I think of upstate, I'm thinking of the Adirondack Mountains or something. But uh, anyway, we'll have fun with that when Gina comes on. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so what is what in your estimation needs to happen or what do you think uh, is the direction that that uh, uh, that that the British government should take relative to Scotland and Northern Ireland? You know, that's a really um, difficult and quite a deep question. I'll tell you why the nuances and the political uh, nuances are so precarious that, you know, that's why it's it's one of those issues which the politicians, you know, are struggling with. And if you notice the narrative in terms of the news, they're not discussing it because it is so difficult and so contentious an issue. And, you know, I I, I wish I had the, the mental range and the mental capacity to sit here and say I would have the answers because I surely don't. Not only is Northern Ireland um, uh, not a stone's throw uh, away from me but like I say the political nuances and the, the political um, discourse that needs to be had um, is a difficult one where, where do you live are you in Northumbria or <laughs> no no, no. <laughs> I'm, I, I, I'm in a place called Essex which is um, literally um, <laughs> we're talking like quite a few miles away from Northern Ireland so um, wow okay Okay, I thought because there's an Essex near London, isn't there? That's right. That's 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 where I am. That's where you are. Okay, so that's yeah. not too far, not all that far from where from where I lived. In um, I lived up near uh, in Cambridgeshire. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I used to go down. One of my motorcycle buddies lived in Essex, so I used to go down there. Um. Okay. Um. So, all right. So you don't feel comfortable talking about whether you think the Scottish should be independent or the Northern Irish? As I, as I say, yeah. I, I feel as though it is a politically nuanced conversation and, mm. you know, yeah. it is it is a very, very deep conversation, which I think to do it justice, you'd need at least three more episodes in order to cover, <laughs> cover this <laughs> okay. properly. I really do. I got it. That. I got it. Yeah, I'm looking for more of a a quick fix of a very broad topic, but I've talked to a couple. I had on one of my friends from, well, actually I didn't talk with it about my UFO uh, friend. There's a guy named uh, Andy McGrillen who in the, the, the I, have you heard anything about UFOs? How big that topic here is in the U S right now. And, and even, you know, even in England, it's pretty big. Have you heard about that? No, this is a new one to me. Okay. Well, if you hashtag, UFO Twitter, you'll see it. But one of the best out there is a guy who lives in the UK from Scotland named Andy McGrillen. And I had him on and we just touched on it. Actually, I have another uh, friend in Scotland that, that told me that he's, he's very keen to uh, to have independence. But um, but yeah, um, a lot of interesting things happening with UFOs. I don't know if you're aware of uh, the US Navy released three videos of encounters that Navy U.S. Navy fighter jets had with objects that were displaying, let's say, characteristics that sort of defy aerodynamics. Uh, and uh, send like me the that. links. I, I, I'm intrigued I now. I'd, I'd like to have a look at those. Send me the links. I will. And hashtag UFO Twitter. Uh, there is a, a lot of information. I will send all this, uh, the pertinent stuff to you. Um, there's a guy who actually left the U.S. government. There's a guy named 
who's become famous named Lou Elizondo. He was a GS-15 in the government, uh, our former Army counterintelligence officer, um, who they had hired to run their program called um, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, basically the UFO uh, study program. It was a secret program, and he felt that they were hiding so much from the general public that he resigned in protest. And you're talking about giving up you know, a six-figure-a-year government job with retirement. So that's somebody who feels passionately, right? Wow. But in concert with that, he got those three videos released, and now we all saw what basically like a, a di- an FA-18 chasing a disc, uh, and this thing flips on its side, so it's sort of flat the way we know UFOs to be, and then it rotates on its side, and there was other associated UFO, smaller uh, aircraft, uh, vehicles around it but the things that they were doing are not commensurate with what a drone could do I come out of Air Force Aviation so the things the, the there is a few videos I've seen and I've got you know about 4,000 hours of military flying that I can't explain uh, wow with the, the laws of aerodynamics and physics in some cases um, okay so, anyway, so I'll send you that stuff uh, nice. so, so that's about, uh, that's about all I had for you. I really just wanted to get a sense, uh, of that, uh, regarding the UFC, I do want to, I, there's one issue with the UFC I wanted to touch on and ask you, uh, real quickly in closing, did you read the John Nash, uh, piece on bloody elbow regarding or hear, uh, with Stephanie Haynes about fighter pay, about the lawsuit? Uh, the class action lawsuit, uh, and all those things. And if so, what I did. Were your thoughts? I, okay. I, I did. And uh, what I would say is it's it's about time that this actually got resolved because there does seem to be an ongoing and it seems to be a cyclical conversation about fighter pay that takes place year in, year out. We're seeing it play out at the moment with John Jones, who is a heavyweight fighter, wants the big heavyweight fight, but mm-hmm won't actually be recompensed for that from a company who says that it's doing well has had a fantastic year from a company who was bought a few years back for billions of dollars to be scrimping and saving and not actually um well giving its athletes what they are due is reprehensible so yes well aware of what's going on in terms of fighter pay well aware of where it's heading and hopeful that it will actually um, result in fighters getting what they are due and what they really um, should have been getting from day one. Absolutely, yeah. And and, and it was never going to happen from day one because the NFL and NBA players had to fight for this. And one of the things I didn't realize that John illuminated is that the NBA actually de-unionized and then became a players' associate, as, as did the NFL, and became a players' association which allowed them to bargain, but with being a union, it would absolve the UFC of any antitrust violations. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was so interesting that he says the the player the association could come about as a result of the damages and the the uh, I guess the recompense uh, associated with this trial. This trial could be the big. Uh, the big thing that changes uh, the way the UFC pays fighters. Let's hope so. I mean, let's not speak too soon because it's still being worked out. It's still being worked through the courts. But I- I'm hopeful. I am really, really hopeful. Yes. And um, I was going to say with Jones, 
I have been uh, a big detractor of John Jones for years for many reasons. Uh, uh, one of the coaches at Jackson's for years, uh, actually Greg Jackson's first black belt in his system, if we, uh, as it was known, Gaido Jutsu back in the day, uh, he was the first black belt. We became friends, and so I got to hear a lot of what was going on around Jackson's uh, with John, John Jones, his drug use, other things that he did. But I 100% agree with him, despite the fact that, you know, he's cheated multiple times. I agree. He deserves this money. Um, yeah. He does. You have to be objective, you know, and I, I, I'm I, sure you agree whether you like 100%. John or not. Okay. Yeah, 100% with you. And uh, now Dana's going to play that whole game. I love how he plays. Oh, this guy really doesn't want to fight. You could tell. If he wanted to fight, he'd call me. He'd call Hunter Campbell. <laughs> Oh, what's the, uh, actually, you know what I've done? I've done this Chicago accent for Dana. And so, like, when I did, I did a whole thing where it's Dana at, at dinner with Khabib. And so I'm, I'm doing the Khabib accent. Dana tried to tell me he wants me fight. I don't have a guy I want to fight. And Dana's going, hey, kid, let me tell you, you know, you want to come back. You want to make a lot of money. You know, so I don't know why I've given Dana a Chicago accent. I just think it fits <laughs> So anyway. All right, wow. Mike, Michael, I won't bore you with my impressions. I want to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I hope to be able Thanks to... Thanks for having me. No, I, I hope to have you on again to talk MMA and get you to take some shots. You know, I don't want you to empty your entire magazine on shots fired. Like, just save, like, you know, a few rounds to come on sometime when there's a topic you're passionate about so we could just watch you fire away, man. Sounds like a plan. I'll, I'll, I'll keep that, that clip. That extra clip ready for you. When <laughs> thank you, you thank when you, brother. Save a you know. clip. Save a clip for me. All right, party <laughs> people. Michael Morgan, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. All right, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.